If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Thank you so much for being in here this morning. I was actually... Telling my wife if I had to choose, I wouldn't be in here this morning because uh, some really great speakers. I know Drake's uh, speaking, so is Matthew Marine, who's a very, very good friend of mine. And of course, the Better Conference. But I'm excited you're in here, and I'll hopefully give you some things that we can talk about today that will be a blessing to you. Some of my favorite people are here in this room today. Uh, I know some I, I get to go to church with the Lamberts and the Pittmans, but um, sitting here looking at Ben and Travis and Chris and Joey and Russ and all these guys, Mark Posey. Blaine Chase, it's good to see all you guys in here, and what a blessing it is to be able to share a few thoughts from God's Word with you. Uh, the topic I was assigned, actually, uh, for a couple weeks was very similar to this, and then um, uh, President Mitch Henry reached out and said he wanted to tweak it just a little bit, and he said, I want you to emphasize the word power in Romans 1 and verse 16, so we want to do that today uh, in our thoughts, direct our thoughts towards that message of the power of the gospel. Now, on the screen, you see a little QR code. And if you scan that, it'll take you to my website, and the slides are already on there, so you can follow through. I knew there'd be students taking notes, um, and so there's, uh, there's that available to you, and a whole lot of other good stuff on the website, and I'll put it again at the last slide, just in case you don't get it. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Romans 1 and verse 16, a verse we're probably very familiar with, and uh, we want to look at it from maybe a little bit different perspective in our time together this morning. So in this text, Paul says, from the New King James Version, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, I want to focus on this idea of the word power. Uh, when I think of power, I think of strength. I think of might. Maybe you've done a little bit of study on the Greek word and noticed that the word is similar to the word we use today for dynamite. This is a... Uh, a word that means it's charged, it's energized, it's to give the strength that is needed to be able to, to do even greater and better things. And so we're going to talk about what that means uh, today. And I want to share with you, I'm a simple creature. Uh, my kids at Titus Camp know this. Our congregation knows this. I, I love to do acrostic sermons. It's just much easier to memorize. In fact, I told Misty this morning uh, that uh, I was really glad I had memorized my lesson for today just in case something went haywire with PowerPoint or I lost my notes. And so uh, we want to go through the word gospel and see if we can learn a little bit about the power in the message. So we're going to start with the G, obviously. The gospel has power because of God's love. Think about the message of Romans 1 and verse 16, the emphasis on the power of Jesus, the power of God allowing Jesus to die in our place. When we think about the expression of God's love, I want to take you back to uh, Genesis chapter 1. 
So the crowning glory of creation was not all the critters, it wasn't the birds, it wasn't the fish, it wasn't the vegetation. The crowning glory, the great greatest part of creation is when God created Adam in his image. And then, of course, he takes from Adam a rib and creates Eve, and the two become one flesh, and we have uh, all the great things that come as a result of it. But we also have something terrible that takes place very soon after the creation of it. I'll talk about that in a minute. But our creation was meant to be an expression of God's love. God wanted to create humanity so that he could have something to love in his own image. And when I think about that, I think about how, you know, in the Psalms, Psalm 8 talks about considering the heavens, considering the glory, all the things that God has created. But in his might and in his power, he chose to create something in his own image. That ought to tell us a little bit about how much he truly loves us before we talk about what we've done to mess it up. God truly loves his children. We're created in his image. Now, remember Ephesians 2 and verse 10, where it says we are his workmanship, created uh, for good works in Christ. Uh, it also says that he prepared beforehand so that we could show those works and we might be able to share with others the goodness and the grace of God. And so we're created by God's power as a proof of love. There's a lot of things I like to build, uh, things. I'm, I've got a little shop out behind my house and uh, so I'll get out there and tinker with things. And there's some creations I'm very, very proud of. I'll be happy to show off uh, some pictures of some things I put in the house and put up some walls. Uh, I'm really cheap, so I get pallets. And you'd never, you, you just can't imagine what you can do with a couple pallets. So I've done a lot of little building. Now, there is one small thing. Missy's teased me a little bit about it even this week. Uh, our church, we're thinking about getting a blessing box to put up so for food to be in. So I was out there one night for about four hours and started building this blessing box, and man, it needs help. It does not look good. Um, I was going to try to put paint on it. You know, sometimes you could paint it up. You know, ladies, you put on, some ladies can put on makeup, look really good, take the makeup off. You know, it's like in Seinfeld where you look on, this, on the, the porch, she looks good and get into the dark and she doesn't. Some people can dress things up. You can paint a car, you can paint a house. You can, but you know, when it comes to this little blessing box, I don't think how much paint I put on it, it's still not going to look just right. But God created us exactly the way he wanted us. And so we are an expression of God's love. His power, his creation, was so that we might be able to, to walk around this world and see his image. The second thing I see here in this idea of Romans 1.16 and the power of the gospel is that it also reveals our sin. Uh, Matthew Marine's doing a second part right now as we speak on uh, evangelism, re reconnecting with evangelism. And yesterday he talked about John 4, the woman at the well, and he talked about how Jesus actually met her in her shame. And he brought out a really good point from John 4 that I hadn't considered before, and that is that Jesus put himself in a lower position than the woman when he asked her to give him a drink. Just like these homeless people out here that are on the sides of the road with the signs, Jesus met her in her shame, and he got down and he asked for a simple drink. And, and from a cup that she'd been drinking from. And most of us would probably shy away from being with such characters as the woman. And he says, I'd like to drink from your cup. I have nothing to drink from. And so he meets her in her shame. And we have to recognize our sin and our shame, acknowledge it. We have to confess it. And so if we're going to be real and we're going to be genuine and we're going to really appreciate how much God can do with humanity, we have to realize how far we've fallen. 
And so we begin to look at the creation event and we see the fall of Adam and Eve and it breaks our hearts to read it. And he says, Genesis 2.17, it's got one. You ever do that, you kids? Just I'm going to give you one rule. Don't break it, you know. And boy, for whatever reason, Eve was really looking at that fruit. I mean, she had her eyes on it. I hate it that, that sometimes we put a lot of pressure on Eve and the sin. But it says that after she took the fruit, she turned to Adam and gave him the fruit. That means he was right there the whole time. He did not protect his wife from the serpent. He did not keep his wife from the tree. And so sometimes we can allow other people to do something and we learn from that experience. And unfortunately, he saw Eve take the fruit and he then said, okay, I'll do it too. And so the sin of Adam and Eve, of course, compounds and it comes down to where we are today. But Isaiah 59 talks about how our iniquities, our sin, our shame is what separates us. It creates this chasm between us and our loving God that created us with his power to protect, to watch over, to care for, to create this perfect little environment. You do that with your kids. You know, you give them a room and you give them toys and you give them gadgets and gizmos and televisions and all kind of technology because you want to show them how much you love them. And sometimes you don't want to put down the rules, but you have to. And then they break them. And you're like, don't you know how much I love you? And I'll tell you, there is no one that can break your heart more than a child that you've loved and you've cared for and you've done all that you can and they turn their back. It hurts. And that's what happens in the garden. They turn their back on their loving God. And so the power of the gospel is also seen in the great tragedy of sin and the fall. In uh, Hebrews chapter 9, it talks about redemption of our transgressions. The end of the first covenant, the coming of the second covenant of Christ is to show that God recognized that power that he gave us, the will of free will to choose, that we abused it. And he loves us still enough to try to right the wrong. And that's what we see in the gospel. We also see that salvation is not free. Now, this really hurts because when you begin to see the significance of the fall of Adam and Eve and how it starts this chain reaction, we can go to places like in Genesis chapter 6 where God finally says, I'm going to have to start over. And he gives a, a command to Noah to build an ark to save his family. It says Noah found grace in the eyes of God in verse 8. And, and so this sin continues to compile upon all of humanity. And God uses the flood event to fulfill part of a partial promise in Genesis chapter 3. You remember when uh, the sin of Adam and Eve takes place, he rebukes Adam, he rebukes Eve. And he also speaks to the serpent and he talks about how the seed of this woman, he would preserve and that seed would crush the head of the serpent, crush Satan's head. And so God, even, even though he loves us so much and we sin so great, there's power in the gospel message that he still wants to save us despite how badly we have sinned against him. I also think about it in Romans 3 and verse 23, which is one of those verses we, we memorize very quickly if you're preaching that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We, we memorize Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin, the debt of sin that has to be paid includes death. So we ultimately, because of our sin, deserve hell as the punishment. We deserve it. But God in his power had a plan, and he did before Genesis three fifteen, before the foundations of the world. He had a plan 
that when man fell, he would send his son. Now, Paul presents that to us in a couple places. He does it not just here in Romans, but he does it in Ephesians. And whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, they get it. They see God's handiwork from the beginning until the cross and from the cross until the final judgment. But salvation is going to cost something. Unfortunately, it costs our life. It costs blood to be paid for the sacrifice. The shedding of blood takes place in the garden right after the fall. He, he kills the critters to allow them to be the covering for Adam and Eve. And we know now the penalty of that death is that one must die. Now in the old covenant, the commands of offering sacrifices were to be rolled forward until a point in the future that it could be fulfilled completely. And if you'll read through Leviticus, I know some of you reading through the year, Genesis, Exodus, I'm all in. By Leviticus 3, I'm like, why? You know, why is it? There's so many parts. You know, now, now you say, well, I, I don't, I haven't read through the whole Bible. I've stopped in Leviticus 2. For those of you who are watching all these horror movies during Halloween, you shouldn't have a problem with Leviticus. I mean, there's killing on every page, but it shows how powerful of a penalty there has to be for the sins that we commit. And so the shedding of that blood was meant to roll forward until the cross. And once Jesus died and paid the price, because the salvation, our salvation isn't free, and he offered his life willingly, he says in John 10, then those sins are fulfilled. In fact, the Passover meal was meant to be a celebration of the family to talk about how they had overcome uh, the obstacles of the wilderness and survived the punishment and the persecution of the Egyptians, but also a reminder that there would be one day when the Paschal, the Passover, Passover lamb would come and die. They were looking for a Messiah every time they took the Passover. So when they're in that upper room and they're celebrating the Passover together and Jesus is standing there in their midst, He's revealing that he is the Passover lamb. And so, of course, uh, one of the greatest things, I love the little details of scripture. One of my favorite things about the narrative of that Passion Week is that each week Jesus would walk from Bethany to Jerusalem and he had to walk through the Kidron Valley. Now, if you know what the Kidron Valley is, it's a valley that comes out of the gates in Jerusalem where the blood of the sacrifices would have been poured down into that valley and joining with the water in that little river, that little body of water all the way down. So every time Jesus walked from Bethany to Jerusalem, our Passover lamb walked through the blood of all those sacrifices. And so it's impossible, no matter how hard you try, when you walk through with those garments, there must have been some splashing, some spilling of that blood of all those Passover lambs that are along Jesus's cloak and his his garments and his sandals and his feet all the way to Jerusalem. And so that just, it really shows me how much Jesus thought about it. And in the, in the, the last few hours before his arrest, he chose to go to uh, the, the, the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you're familiar with this area where he is praying, he has a full view of Jerusalem. He can see Solomon's porch. He can see the place where Pilate will condemn him. He can see the temple complex where they had worshiped several hundred years. He can see in the distance Calvary. He can see Golgotha from where he prays. No wonder he was sweating drops of blood, Dr. Luke says. And so he's, he is, he's overwhelmed with the penalty, the shame that he will bear upon the cross. But yet by God's power, that is not our fate. God's power is great because the penalty was great. As I said, the sacrifice of Jesus was 
a tremendous sacrifice. John 3, verse 16, most famous verse in the Bible, talks about Jesus as the only begotten of the Father. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, we're familiar with it saying, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But we also see that he tells his disciples, nobody comes to the Father except through me. Your only access to the power of God is through me, through his own sacrifice. In Acts 2 and verse 38, we emphasize, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the mission of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But I'll tell you something. I love verse 39. Because it says that this promise was to them, to those who are afar off, to as many as the Lord our God shall call. The salvation promise was not for one race, not for one nation, not for one family lineage of descendants as it had been with Noah on the ark. But all of humanity can now be saved by the power of Jesus Christ and by his blood. We sing about washed in the blood of Jesus, a powerful, powerful sacrifice he had to offer in our place. The penalty was great. Uh, one more thing, when you look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin. He did that so that we might obtain righteousness. You see, I'm going to be saved. I know that. On the day that my name is called, on my last hour, I know I have done the things that are necessary to obtain salvation, but I cannot stand before that throne and glorify in any one thing I did. I am saved by the grace of God. I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm saved by the only power that I have access to, and it's not something I can create on my own. The gospel also has power because everybody has access to it. Not just, again, one family, not one lineage, not one sect of people. Everyone now has access to salvation. In Mark chapter 16, he tells his disciples, I need you to go into all the world. I need you to preach the gospel to every creature. And I love that idea of taking the gospel and that everywhere we go, you and I, if we have received Christ, if we have been covered by his blood, if we have obtained the seal of the Holy Spirit, now have a power, listen to me, church, a power inside of me that I am supposed to give to other people, just like access to this port over here. I plugged my iPad in a minute ago. There is a power source that is available to every human, a creative power source. And you and I have access to it, but it's not to keep to myself. You know, it's so hard. Sometimes whenever we get ready to go to bed at night, we're at a hotel and we go to plug in, you know, and I've got, I've got a, a, a cell phone and I've got my iPad and I've got, I've got Bose ear sleep buds. You know, I got my CPAP machine. Old guys, you with me in here? Got my CPAP machine. And, and I have to bring a power cord when I go out of town. I have to bring a six port power cord. And just in case I don't have any access to a wall like this and they got it crammed back here behind the phone and the, all that stuff, you know, and I'm pulling out that I'm redecorating to get access to that power source. So I bring, it, I bring cords with me so I can plug in, you know, and we have access as Christians to something, to someone that can change our lives and the lives of others. Why in the world would we want to hold on to that? Why would we want to keep it to ourselves? It doesn't make any sense. The power of the gospel is to be shared for everyone to have access to it. Everyone ought to have it. I love Romans 10. You know, it talks about how with our mouth confession is made to salvation. But it goes on and talks about how uh, as we access this, our confession, our mouth, the things that we say help us in obtaining salvation. It also helps us as we stay saved 
to share the gospel message. I'm supposed to open my mouth. Paul also talks about using your feet wherever you go. To go the place, blessed are the feet of those. And then he, he actually gives us a little insight to part of Peter's message. You know, in fact, he, he uses a section of Joel 2 that is used by Peter on Pentecost. And when he begins to talk about this, this idea of believing and this idea of accepting my place in shame, confessing my sins, and then accessing the power available to salvation. And that's when he reminds us in verse 17 that it is constantly, readily available to us in the word of God. So then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Every time I open my Bible and study, I'm gaining more access, more power. You ever plugged into something and you say, man, I just don't have enough juice. There's not enough. You gotta, gotta get, in fact, sometimes when I have my cell phone and my battery's running low, you know, I'm trying to figure out if maybe I went off another tower. I could get a little more, a little more of those bars that can help me talk to somebody or text something. And so we're always wanting more power, more access. And so we have that in Christ Jesus. The last thing here with L is the idea that life is eternal. Our life, we have been created to spend an eternity together with God. That's why he created us. He created us so that we might share in these earthly blessings, which we've corrupted in our shame and our sin, made the mistakes. But ultimately, he wants to take us home to be with him forever. There are two destinies we can choose. In fact, Matthew 7 puts it very plainly that there are two roads. Okay, there's one road that's wide. It's the one everybody wants to go on. Plenty of space, no obstacles, no detours, just nice, broad roads. And then he talks about this narrow pathway. And he says that that part of that pathway that we would think, you know, I want to get to heaven, it's a little more difficult. It's got all kinds of obstacles. And that's not because God says, hey, let's test them. Let's see if they really believe in me. Let's just check and see if their faith is really strong. No, Jesus says, guys, I just wish you'd have a mustard seed. I mean, if, I could just, if, I could just, if you could just get just this much faith, you'd be amazed at what you can do. You'd be amazed at what God can do through you if you have just this much faith. And so our faith starts this power surge. And we, we confess Christ getting power surges until we are saved by the blood of Jesus. And once we're covered by the blood, and once we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have our destiny uh, set aside. In Hebrews chapter 9, it, it talks about how it's appointed once for man to die. And then what? The judgment. We cannot avoid judgment. We cannot avoid physical death. And we, it hurts. Some of us have lost very close loved ones. And we wish that we could take death off the table. But it's already there because of the sin and the shame in the garden. But it's very short compared to the joys of eternity. John does the best he can in Revelation to show us what he saw when he looked into heaven, into those realms of what we're going to be a part of one day. And he does his very best to give us some word pictures by describing colors and elements. He describes it as best as he can with his human, human capabilities. But I can promise you that looking at the things that he talks about there and what Paul has talked about and other great writers have talked about in viewing eternity, there is no way that in our human understanding we could ever comprehend how great and how wonderful that will be. The reunion that takes place, the fact that, and I tell people all the time, you know, a lot of people get to heaven, they want the, the crown, they want the, they want the robe, you know, they want the streets of gold, they want the mansion, they want to see so-and-so. I just want to see Jesus. 
I, you can have all that. I don't care. I don't. I, I'd be fine. I'd be fine if I didn't get a single place to, to lay my head. I don't need to rest. I'll be excited just to see Jesus face to face. Like John in John uh, chapter 20, and he talks about how Thomas has this doubt. Now, I just got to put my fingers in the nail prints. Well, there's going to be a day that we'll be able to have access to that. We'll be able to see him, to thank him, if we could speak. In 1 John chapter 5, Paul, uh, John says, These things I have written to you that you might believe, believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Our faith, the power we access at salvation, is a power that's continual. It's always offered to us. God doesn't shut that off. We may choose to disconnect, and like the prodigal son, we may run away. But God will pick us right back up, right where we left off, just as when you, you're working on something and your phone unplugs or your laptop unplugs, and you go, oh, i got to get plugged back in. And there are times in our life that we need to plug back in. That's what we're here for this week, to reconnect, to be recharged, to be re-energized, because some of us are in ministry. And I'll tell you, you know, I, I look pretty good for an 18-year-old, right? You know, I mean, we we, we, we go through ministry, and boy, we're, we, I got gray hair in my mid-20s because of ministry's tough. It's difficult, but it's the greatest job in the world because I can introduce people to Jesus. And John says, I'm writing this book. I'm writing this letter so that you might know that you have eternal life. I want you to know it. I want you to, we have a, a lady Ben and Travis know this lady, elder's wife, at a church where we worked at. And I was reading, actually, I was preaching through Romans 8, which was my, in fact, I, I remember talking to both these guys about Romans 8 a lot. That's uh, Travis's go-to passage. In Romans 8, I think about how it talks about the salvation that's available to us and what God does through us and in us through his Holy Spirit. And this sister came to me and she said, I just hope that on that day he'll let me in. I just, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I said, you've been a Bible class teacher all these years. You know, you've been a, a, a teacher at Mars Hill. You, how can you say that? She said, I just, I just kind of, I don't know. I just kind of hope. And I remind you of this passage that you ought to know. And there's a big plus to that walking your life. It takes away fear. It takes away all of the burdens of what's going to happen next. I already know what's going to happen next. I know that salvation, I've laid claim to it. See, eternal life is not just a far-off concept of hope. It is a present-day possession. And every day, I look in the mirror and go, this may be my last, but praise God, I'm going to live forever. My Grandpa Green used to always tell people that. He'd say, I'm going to live forever. And I said, you know, one day you're going to take your last breath. He goes, no, that, that's momentary. I'm going to live eternally. Now I want to share with you this one final thought, and it's not in the slides on the uh, internet that I gave you a little QR code for a minute ago because my buddy Chris and I were talking yesterday, and I asked him, I said, if you're teaching this lesson, what would be the thought that you would express with this passage from Romans 1.16? So he gave me some insight, and I went immediately to my computer last night and started typing, and I thought, this is, this is perfect, a perfect ending to this verse. When he says, I'm not ashamed of the power I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. It reiterates those thoughts that I express to you, that there is no question all have access. The power is available to all. It's not just one. It is to all. Think about this. In Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, Paul says, 
Now to him who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Think about how Paul expresses this power that we have access to is greater than we could ever ask or think. So if the power of God seems limited, who has put those limitations on it? I have, you have. I have, I have in my doubt, in my, in my attempt to have some self-proclamation and pride in whatever happens, to, to doubt and to fear, it's my fault. I limit the power of God because I do not use my mouth. I do not use my feet in such ways to express to people the power that's available, the salvation that is free and the debt has been paid. I, I don't know how we can go a day. I don't know how we can go a minute without wanting to express to somebody the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed me. I have obeyed the gospel and I am compelling you to do the same. This power, this access Imagine, that's what Chris and I were talking about yesterday. I can't even ask or I can't, I can't even fathom, I can't think about what this power, what the power of God is capable of. But what if my faith got a little stronger than a mustard seed? What if I began to think? What if I began to dream? What if I began to pray? What if I began to not only think, but to also work that power and I began to share it with every single person. And what if I, and this is the first part, is I've got to believe it. I have to believe the access I have to God is powerful. And if I believe it, then, then everything in the Bible makes sense. If I believe that I have access to this power, and I can imagine, even though it's so little, but if I could just imagine a little bit about what God is capable of and what he could do in my life and the lives of others, then, then other Bible passages make sense where he tells his disciples, go out and preach the gospel, you know, go teach all nations. But then he says to them, don't worry, I'm going to be with you always. The power of God is available in you forever. You have within you the ability to change humanity. You have the ability to change lives. He is with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. It makes sense. Paul had access to this power. That's how he can say that in Ephesians 3. When he says, I could do not some things, not most things, not a few things, but all things through Christ. Why? Because the strength, the power that he has is available to him. And he can't help but share it with other people. And then I think about Romans 8 and verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm saved and I know it. I don't think that's arrogant. I think that's boldness. It's that boldness that led Stephen to preach to his enemies. It cost him his life. But we need that in the church today. We don't have any time for this wimpy, wishy-washy type gospel preaching. We got to preach it like we mean it. We got to preach it like we believe it. If I have access to that power, I got to share it. What a, what a sad tragedy for the church to spend our last days. And I do believe we're in the last days bickering and fighting and complaining, griping about things that we wish we could change or people that we seem to have conflict with. When in these last days, we ought to be using the power, the access to the power God has given us to pray in the Holy Spirit, to be able to talk to people like Jesus did, and love people like Jesus did, and connect with people like Christ and the disciples did. 
I think about Romans 8 and verse 31. You know, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is on your side, if he's working with you, what does that say about your enemy? You say, well, there's a lot of bad stuff happening in my life. Well, that's a good thing because the devil is working against you. And I'll tell you, if you haven't felt the flames and the trials of temptation, you're walking too close to the wrong line. We are going to experience, Paul says, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It comes. But the great thing is I know I have a relationship with my God. I have a power that, is, that I can access at any time. It, it gives me the power to get through every single day. And it's changed my life and it'll change others. And finally, looking at 1 John chapter 4, think about what he says to his readers. He that is in you, the power that is in you, he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Who's the he that's in the world? Well, that's the devil. And so every time you get down, frustrated, sad, discouraged, anxious, depression, when you go through those difficult moments, you have a power inside of you that is greater than anything the world could ever produce. And it's not a power in flesh. I can go hit those weights as many times as I want. That power is only going to get me so far. Because you get older like I do. I used to squat a small car, you know, over 500 pounds. I was on the record board at our school. We used to go out. I tell my kids on the football team my favorite stories. Are we had a friend, Jeff Summers, pray for him. His mother died yesterday. Good friend from high school. He had this little Ford Escort. And us linemen, he was one of the receivers. And, and, you know, linemen hate backs because, you know, except for the fact we don't run as much. I don't know why we had so much animosity. But we, we always were teasing him. And he had this little Ford Escort. So we would pick it up and go move it between two trees where he couldn't get out. And the only way, the only way Jeff could get out to get to work was he had to come ask us, beg us to come move his car because he couldn't go backward or forward. He could just get in the doors. We used to have this power. I'll tell you, I don't have it anymore. I don't. I don't. My knees remind me that I don't, but the power that is available in you because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of the love of God, is greater than anything else. You shouldn't want anything else. You shouldn't covet anything else because what he provides is absolutely all you need. And if we think about that gospel message and we share it with other people, it's going to change people's lives. And, you know, I think sometimes we get complacent. We get to a place where we're comfortable in our life, and we like being able to, you know, uh, boast about our assurances and our salvations, but we have to keep in mind we were all in that point of sin and shame, and we must not forget that. We need to be real with people. We need to be intentional when we share the gospel with people and remind them of the greatness of the power of God. Let's pray together, and then I'll let you be dismissed. Our Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be a part of this lectureship series. We thank you for the men and, and some of the women's classes, for those speakers that have done their best to share a message of hope, to help us reconnect with you. Father, may we never take for granted the power that you have given us or what you've done to provide it to us. We pray that you will help us every single day to remember that light that we have. It comes from you and you are the source of all good things. We pray, Father, that as we go through our daily walk, that we will encourage people and we will help people to see that the only wonderful and good things through you are accomplished because you've had a plan since creation, since before the foundations of the world. And you've made a plan to save us, even in our sin and our shame, 
to send Jesus who was so innocent, his blood is so precious, his, his death is sacrificed so great that we can hardly imagine it. And we're grateful that you've made it a part of the worship of your church, that we do it every Sunday and we reflect on that death that was shed, and his blood that was shed for us. We pray, Father, that you will help us even as we leave here this hour to be in prayer and to let our feet move us to people that need to know what is available in you. We pray that we will not take for granted and we will, we will press on to share it with as many people as we possibly can. And thank you most of all, Father, for Jesus. Thank you for allowing him to come and dine our place that gives us access to you through prayer. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit that will dwell in us mightily until the hour you call us home. And then we will join you, Father, and we pray that you'll help us to focus on heaven, to not get weighed down by the trials of the world, but to think about what you have provided for us and the joys of no more tears and sorrow and sadness, but to rest with you for all eternity. And Father, again, thank you so much for this opportunity to be together. We pray this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all so much for being in here. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.